This is an ABC podcast. That's loud. No, it's not. Oh, brilliant. Does that sound okay? (laughs) Yes. And you are in the right place on Science Friction. Natasha Mitchell cranking up the volume for this edition. Oh, I had a tune. You have made my day. Now tune the guitar. (laughs) It's semi in tune. It's metal, though. We don't really need to worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Philip Moriarty is a metalhead. Um, it could be quite noisy. Oh, that's a nice, lots of feedback. Can you hear that? No. I need it louder, please. <laughs> He's also Professor of Physics at the University of Nottingham in the English Midlands, which you might know as home to another rule breaker of note, Robin Hood. The new academic year has just started here uh, at Nottingham and it always fills my heart with joy to see students wander in with a whole range of metal t-shirts, you know, the Sabbaths, the Thin Lizzies, the Metallicas, the Slayers. Metal never dies and it just passes on from one generation to another. And those links between, I think, physicists and metal are pretty strong. If you drew a Venn diagram of the two, there'd be a a large amount of overlap. Philip's new book is called When the Uncertainty Principle Goes to Eleven, or How to Explain Quantum Physics with Heavy Metal. So that's what we're going to try and do a bit of in between the guttural guitar chugs and Phil's own story of finding a way to fully express his two biggest passions. There's a wonderful quote by a guy called Leibniz who developed calculus in parallel with Isaac Newton. In fact, they, they really didn't like each other. They fought about who actually had precedence in terms of the development of calculus. But Leibniz was a polymath, so interested in a wide range of different things. And there's this wonderful quote, which is, music is the sound of the human mind counting when it doesn't know that it's counting. Ah, oh, isn't that beautiful? Which I think is wonderful, yeah. And there are these incredible links between maths and music and physics. And in the UK, at least, one thing that's a little bit irritating, at high school, we have this A-level system and students typically do three subjects. And the problem is they tend to go either down the arts and humanities route or the STEM route. You know, we'll have lots of students who will have done maths and further maths and physics. And to have a student that's done, for example, maths, further maths and English is relatively rare. It does happen, but it's relatively rare. And that we lose a lot. It's crazy. Yeah. Because people who are great at maths are often fantastic at music. There is something at the heart of both, a certain kind of pulse, a certain kind of pattern making. Absolutely. And what really brought it home to me is my daughter was seven and we were doing fractions and it did not matter how many pizzas I brought in and how many ways we sliced them up and I must have put on two stone of weight in pizza trying to put across fractions. What made the difference, she'd played piano since she was about five, is, okay, Neve, think of it in terms of crotchets and quavers and semi-quavers and think of how the, how the bar is broken up into beats and think about it as subdividing those beats down. And then she suddenly got it and was like, oh, Daddy, why didn't you tell me that in the start? Now it makes sense. Yeah. So... Those links are very deep, I think. I'm also thinking of the physicists out of CERN. When Higgs boson was discovered, they composed, or one of them composed, a heavy metal riff. They did. Based on the data that they'd extracted. They did.
what I really dislike is this idea that physicists are sort of cold-hearted automatons. You know, you can have all the emotion, you can have those emotional reactions, even though, you know, you understand how the, the, the physics works. And big bloody bang theory is a lot to answer for in that regard. Oh, you think um, so? Yeah, I, I like it. My kids really the love TV big show. bang theory. The TV show. Uh, but... It does play to the stereotypes very, very badly, I think. It can be a little bit frustrating because we're not all like Sheldon. Not all of us. When did you first pick up the guitar? Around about when I was 14, so I'm a teenager of the 80s. So got into guitar around about the same time as something called the new wave of British heavy metal, Nwabum. So bands like Iron Maiden... Jeff Leopard. Um, Saxon, that type of thing. And uh, I was a huge fan of Thin Lizzy. So that's really how I learned to play guitar, was by learning Thin Lizzy riffs and Thin Lizzy solos. You better give me yeah. a quick Thin Lizzy riff. Oh, let's say. <laughs> That's something called Don't Believe a Word, just off the top of my head. <laughs> I think there was a little bit of prog metal, progressive metal in there early on too, the Canadian band Rush. I am a huge, that's my favourite band is Rush. I love Rush. Um, I know they're a bit of an acquired taste. The vocals are off in the stratosphere <laughs> somewhere. My uncle has a country place no one knows about. It's oh, oh my. Um, let's see, yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so classic rip. That's, that's the main way for something called Tom Sawyer, which is probably the f- most famous tune. And it's making me very happy indeed. It sounds like, <laughs> Phil Moriarty, that heavy metal not only nearly ended your career in physics, but ultimately saved it. So, yeah, so I did my high school subjects. And in Ireland, we actually do seven subjects. It's quite broad compared to the A-levels I was talking about. So I was actually torn between doing English and doing uh, physics. I ended up choosing physics. And for the first two years, it wasn't so bad. The third year, I was in a band. It sort of ramped up a little bit. We were gigging a lot. And I got a lot more focused in the third year of my four-year degree on the music side of things. I actually ended up failing my exams. Big time. Big time, really big, to the point where I had to repeat that third year. Now, at the time, and when I failed those exams, that was like the bottom dropped out of my world. Actually, it was the very best thing that could have happened to me because otherwise I would have drifted through I would have probably ended up with, a, you know, a past degree or what's called a third class degree. There was no way I'd have been able to do a PhD. If I hadn't have failed those exams, it wouldn't have given me the kick in the um, behind um, I'd have needed to actually go on to do a PhD. So in that sense, failing exams was the very best thing that happened to me. And you still so, got to hang yeah. on to your guitar all the way. And I drag it, I bring it into as regularly as possible into lectures. So, yeah. Too bad if they so. prefer Britney Spears or Beyonce. Mm, it's not happening. 
What first triggered you to start thinking about the relationship between heavy metal music and quantum physics? It was in the chords of Rush. Why this relationship? Quantum physics is a theory of waves. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. It's how waves overlap and interfere and uh, interact with each other. And what's music? Well, music is, if you excuse the oversimplification, is just sound waves. It's how sound waves interact. You would put so, it like that. You're a scientist. Yeah. The ultimate <laughs> reductionists. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, Damn it's, you! <laughs> <laughs> obviously, it triggers, um, if we want to get even further um, reductionist, it triggers certain biochemistry and <laughs> triggers certain reactions. <laughs> but having said that, it's um, I'm a physicist, so I'm contractually obliged to mention Richard Feynman in every particular talk and interview I do. <laughs> so Feynman was talking with an artist about you know the beauty of a flower and the artist was saying, well, you physicists just reduce it down to, you know, why do you reduce it down to this brass tax of how the, the light is interacting with the flower and what colours that reflects and the wavelengths of light and how that interacts with the electrons, etc. And Feynman said that, and I agree totally, as you might expect, that doesn't detract from the beauty, that adds to the beauty. So when you play a note and I think about the harmonics that make up that note, the resonances that make up the note. If I pick the note at a certain place, that's going to excite different harmonics and different resonances. That, to me, adds to the beauty. It doesn't detract to the beauty. So there's that aspect. And then there's also, and particularly with music, you can introduce the physics by the back door, as it were. So somebody who thinks, well, I'm interested in music, but actually this physics stuff, you know, it really isn't for me. By making those links between the physics and the music, you can show them, well, actually, the, an awful lot of the music does relate to physics, does relate to maths. And if you like the music, well, actually, you might like some of this physics and maths as well. Well, this relationship between heavy metal music and quantum physics starts with waves, mm-hmm. the movement of energy through space. I mean, music's mm-hmm. all about that, sound waves. Quantum physics is all about that too. But quantum physics is happening at a tiny, tiny scale. So how have you translated all your kind of heavy metal metaphors down to the scale of the quantum, the nanoscale, which is where you spend your life working as a physicist? It is indeed, and that's that's what we do. That's what the day job is, uh, imaging single atoms and single molecules and moving them around and picking them and poking them and plucking them and prodding them. And we're now at the point, I'd say we, I mean the, the scientific community, not just Nottingham, whereby we can build structures up atom by atom. And that's, that's really, really exciting. The core aspect of quantum is that you, once you get to that level, and it is bizarre, there are many things we understand about quantum physics. One of the things we can do the maths for, but still haven't quite got our heads around in terms of what it means physically, is that you can describe matter with waves once you get to this level. So instead of it being the hard, like, like little billiard ball idea that we have in our heads, that atoms are like these little billiard balls. And sometimes when you do the experiment in a certain way, they look like billiard balls. Other times you do the experiment, it's remarkable. They behave just like waves and they interfere like waves and the patterns you get in terms of the arrangement of the atoms and the arrangement of electrons and fundamental particles like that. I've got these wave-like characteristics. So a wave is a wave is a wave, though. It's no in matter terms what of the scale. mathematics. Exactly. You imagine a fictional heavy metal band 
Metalizer. Metalizer with a double L, important distinction, uh, because there is actually a band apparently called Metalizer. This is not that band. But you take them into the nano world. What range of things have you managed to test in terms of quantum physics? So it's, it's a bit like Fantastic Boys. So what we do is we shrink them down and we think about things like tunneling and what would happen if they were you know if they were shrunk all the way down to the atomic and molecular level quantum mechanical tunneling we think about phase how the guitars would sound we think about overall in terms of the dynamics of the mosh pit imagining that they're single molecules and how they bounce and interact with each other and how that links into quantum mechanics we think about the sounds of the guitar obviously we have them whistling at times picking out the differences in the signal and how that relates to quantum physics and waves in quantum physics and I spent a chapter focusing on this really which is the theme of the book the title of the book when the uncertainty principle goes to 11 to draw those links between the how the guitar is played in heavy metal and what that tells us about the uncertainty principle in quantum mechanics and you even consider marsha the mosha mm. The physics of mosh pits is unbelievably fascinating. So that stems from a paper published by a guy called Jesse Silverberg and his colleagues who was at Harvard at the time. And it's got the best ever title for a physics paper ever. And it was actually published in Physical Review Letters, which is one of the most prestigious journals in physics, which is Collective Dynamics of Humans at Heavy Metal Concerts. They considered the motion of moshers at heavy metal concerts using exactly the same principles as physicists use to describe how molecules move in gases. Now, molecules are not intelligent they're not sentient they are very <laughs> dumb and they bounce randomly off each other and what's incredible is that the dynamics and the motion of moshers at heavy metal concerts can be explained in exactly the same way as the motion of molecules in a gas it's fascinating what are you saying about the collective iq of a group of moshers in a mosh pit at a heavy metal gig <laughs> uh, nothing at all i'll reserve judgment <laughs> I don't know about you, but my way of interacting with a mosh pit at a a gig is that I stand on the edge Mm -hmm. and push everyone back into it, Mm -hmm. who are usually big boys, so that I can have some space to dance. If we took this all down to the quantum level, this is where things start to get very weird, as you explain. So I I could actually just move through the crowd without expending any energy at all. Absolutely. Now, this is, this is a, wacky. Yeah, incredibly wacky. And this is, is one of the weird, wacky and wonderful aspects of quantum physics that we you have this process called quantum tunneling, quantum mechanical tunneling, quantum tunneling. And it's not, unfortunately, the picture, when you hear tunneling, you obviously think of shovels and, and, and digging through. In fact, if you shrink us all the way down to the size of molecules and atoms, we could literally pass through walls. We could literally just tunnel through walls. So we're on one side, we encounter a barrier. And in the classical world, in the real world, unless we expend an awful lot of energy and dig through that wall or somehow get a trampoline and jump over it, we're stuck. We're never going to get through it. In the quantum world, we can literally pass through that barrier without expending energy. So electrons are doing that all the time. That's the norm, actually, in, in the quantum world. And in fact, without that process that tunneling process, the sun wouldn't work. Protons in the sun wouldn't, we need a process of fusion. So the nuclear reactions in the sun wouldn't work without this process of tunneling, whereby the particles can get, don't need to go over a barrier, they can go through a barrier. An incredible process. 
quantum is always pitched as weird and wacky and there are aspects of that i don't want to overplay that too much because a lot of what we do understand but tunneling is purely a quantum phenomenon and the question remains why can't i use quantum tunneling at the human scale to help me get through you know a hellish traffic jam or the mosh pit at a heavy metal gig you know, why can't I just do that? <laughs> okay, I'll give you the really short answer. Because, in fact, I possibly can. There's a very small probability, if we look at quantum uh, physics, that I could do that. Vanishingly small. You might, you, you'd have to wait for, oh, I don't know, a few hundred times the age of the universe. But if you're willing to wait that long, I know sometimes traffic jams, you, you spend <laughs> a long time in them. But the correct answer to that is actually very short and very pity. You're too... Oh, and um, how can I Fat. how can I word this? No, 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 no. <laughs> Too big, I was about to say, and then I thought I need to word that slightly more delicately. <laughs> Sorry, um, but yeah, I said uh, it, not you. <laughs> <laughs> we're all too big. Let's put it that way. We're all too big, and it's actually one of the chapters in the book. I spend a lot of time in dissecting the sort of quantum woo nonsense that's out there. There's a the number of, of gurus. Foremost among them, I hate to name names, but I will, um, is a guy called Deepak Chopra, who I don't know, some of your listeners might have heard of, who argues that actually with quantum physics tells us we're all part of one big interconnected whole and there's all these holistic links with Eastern mysticism, etc., all of which is complete nonsense. Well, he takes this idea of quantum tunnelling, in a sense, and, and says that in the quantum realm, everything is interwoven and inseparably one. Your body is inseparably one with the whole universe. Universe. So, I mean, this idea that at the quantum level, if we can kind of move through matter as electrons do through quantum tunnelling, we are kind of one with everything. Exactly. And that's, isn't that a beautiful way to think of the universe? And you can see why it appeals. I can understand that it appeals. That's a really nice way to think we're all part of one interconnected whole. And, you know, I'm fairly left of centre in my politics. So, you know, that collectivism, nice. Um, but unfortunately, that's not how it works. Even by the time you get to a relatively big molecule, let alone a human, which has got 10 to the gazillion atoms in, in the body, We are huge objects. These quantum effects get washed out, and there are countless experiments that show that these these quantum effects get, get washed out. Heavy metal is all about the headbanging, and you imagine a sort of quantum kind of headbanging by taking Lemmy from Motorhead and doing what with him? For some reason, there are lots of metal characters and metal icons have been immortalised as little, you know, these little bobbing head figures with a spring. Lemmy's one of them. Hetfield, I think all of Metallica and Megadeth, there are these things. Lemmy in particular. Bobbing um, up and, and down. Bobbing up and down. If and that was happening at the atomic level. It's, so, and that happens all the time at the atomic level. And in fact, this is the remarkable thing, stretching all the way back to Einstein. And in fact, it was Einstein that, that introduced this idea, is that often we can treat atoms as little balls and we can treat the bonds between atoms as little springs. And so an awful lot of what's happening as Lemmy's head is bobbing around, it's got a certain natural frequency, which depends on the stiffness of the spring and the weight of Lemmy's head. And of course, Lemmy is Lemmy, or Lemmy was Lemmy, and you know it's obviously going to be quite heavy. Double 
So it bobs back and, and, and forth. And that type of idea of natural frequencies, again, we're back to waves. We're back to cycles and, and, and frequencies. And that's exactly what we have at the quantum level as well. We have these natural frequencies. Obviously, they're much, much, much higher because as you make things smaller, those frequencies go up. Yes, I mean, your description of the, the constant rapid movement of chemical bonds between atoms, you know, there's this a sort of vibrating universe at mm-hmm. the nanoscale. I mean, obviously, the energy levels are totally different to what you'd encounter at a heavy metal gig. I mean, it's a tiny, tiny amount of energy, but it's constant and present. Absolutely. And what's remarkable is even if we could get to absolute zero temperature, which we can't, but even if we could, you would still have that motion. And that's a really nice link back to the uncertainty principle, because we are always uncertain at the quantum level. And if you could freeze out the motion of an atom so it wasn't moving, then you would be certain of its position. And the uncertainty principle tells us we can't do that. Because of the uncertainty principle, it will still vibrate. It's always wobbly down there. It's squishy, bouncy and bumpy at the nanoscale. Oh, that's great. You have pushed this analogy in every direction as far as it goes. It's a very, you know, you've given a good solid heavy metal effort. Surely there is only so far you can take heavy metal into the world uh, of quantum physics, surely? I, no, I, I think, I, I do believe this, I've, and I've mentioned it to my colleagues and they think I'm mad, but I honestly think not only could you get a module, so a course, a single course on quantum physics and metal, I think you could do a whole degree on the links between quantum physics and heavy metal. I, honestly, I, I do. There's lots more left to explore. Well, you actually have come up with a fantastic idea for one university subject, and it wouldn't just be about physics, it would be about art and physics and psychology mm. and sociology and maths, the whole darn lot. Yeah. What would you teach in that subject? The sociology and the idea of subcultures and cultural interactions, iconography, how that works, also in terms of the lyrical content, which, okay, to be fair, we are going to rock you tonight is not possibly the most sophisticated of lyrics. But, you know, you turn to bands like, oh, like Opeth, for example, you turn to bands like uh, Dream Theatre and Queensryche, and there are interests, Rush, oh, how could I forget Rush? There are incredible um, important lyrical themes. So there's that. But uh, they they also help us access the darker side of ourselves, which I think is a very potent force. I agree. And the fascinating thing about metal is despite this preoccupation with death and with the dark side, it's so bloody life affirming. There's no experience like being at a metal gig and feeling immersed in the music. And it's almost like going to church for some. It's almost a religious experience. And that cultural aspect of it and the connection is so great. So all of that type and looking at that from a a sociology perspective on one side, but then also thinking about, well, what does the music mean in terms of the physics? That would be a wonderfully multidisciplinary degree and would teach us a lot, not just about physics, but about ourselves as well. I must say, just hearing you speak, I mean, physicists are a bit cosmic and they're deep thinkers and there's a lovely overlap between philosophy and and physics as well. But I wonder if heavy metal has allowed you to kind of find something of a spiritual self. Philip Moriarty? Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I get lost in music. Even Slayer, believe it or not, relaxes me. You go to a Slayer gig, and I know it would probably be quite scary for some, a Slayer or whatever band, let's stick with Slayer, walk on stage, and there's this Slayer roar from the, from the crowd. You know, that's terrifying to some. To those of us in that subculture, it's like you're back home. 
it's like you're it really is spiritual in the sense that it's you get this emotional rush and you get this connection with everybody else in the audience so absolutely absolutely and in terms of those visceral links you know i can look at you know those pictures of atoms that we've discussed before that gives me a certain emotional rush but so too does listening to you know my favorite rush song actually and combining those two things is the best of both worlds so i get an incredibly high emotional rush from that but i reckon we should go out on slayer Oh, oh, that's a good one to go with. Let me choose a Slayer riff. Wonderful idea. Thanks. Let's play some <laughs> My Slayer. Pleasure. Okay. Will that do? Thanks for joining me. <laughs> Thank you. Physicist Professor Philip Moriarty from the University of Nottingham. I know you might think it's out of character with all these, you know, soft tones I deliver on the radio and the podcast, but I would be damn happy at a Slayer gig. Can you tell? Philip's book is When the Uncertainty Principle Goes to Eleven or How to Explain Quantum Physics with Heavy Metal. Talk to me on Twitter at Natasha Mitchell and don't forget Science Friction Live at the Melbourne Museum if you're passing through good old Melbourne town. Next one, November the 1st on the future of sex from sex bots to wombless births it's gonna get a little weird bookings free via the science friction website join us thanks to co-producer maria tickle rock on until next time see ya